Broadcasting live to the world now. It's Sheila Zelensky. Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end-time watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Monday, October 5th, 2015 edition I broadcast Monday to Fridays, that's weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and on Saturday at 11 p.m. Eastern on WINB and Worldwide Christian Radio. You can go to my website, weekendvigilante.com. All the social media tabs, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter are there, as well as you can sign up for the podcast by going to the right-hand side, that big pink button, Podomatic, sign up and you'll get all the latest shows and archives. Don't forget to get a copy of Green Gospel, my book. If you do not have that book, please do get a copy of it. Not only support my work, but you will learn a wealth of information. And again, to quote Dr. Timothy Ball, renowned climatologist, Sheila Zelensky's book effectively demolishes what you think you know. So there you have it, The Green Agenda, The Greatest Deception of Our Era. Give out copies and get yourself a copy by going to greengospel.ca. We had some glitches over the weekend and were not able to send the newsletter out. So do sign up for my free e-newsletter as it's coming out first thing tomorrow. There's some great information, so make sure you do sign up for my free e-newsletter comes out once a month. And also, just to let you know, I am working on launching Remnant Roundup, the website to connect the end time saints, and hopefully that'll be launching in January 2016. Just a reminder to get your tickets for Hear the Watchmen, Dallas, Texas, March 18th to the 20th. You can go to my website, and on the right-hand side, there's a link that'll take you straight to hearthewatchmen.com. It's got a great lineup of speakers, and it is indeed going to be a very powerful event. I would like to remind people today, as we're going into October, that this show and ministry is 100% listener-funded. It's uncensored, unbiased, and 100% listener-funded. So please do support this ministry, and particularly a lot of regular listeners. If you're listening to the show... It's only fair that you do support it. So a reminder to do that. There is a donate button there at weekendvigilante.com. My guest tonight is my good friend Dave Hodges from The Common Sense Show. His show can be heard Sunday nights from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Central. Bookmark thecommonsenseshow.com for all his handiwork. And he joins me to break down what is going on in the world as we lay in a hotbed of contention. Dave, welcome back to the program. It's good to have you on. Well, it's a pleasure to be back with you, Sheila. 
Well, Dave, things are really heating up. The wheels are absolutely coming off the bus at breakneck speed here. The global house of cards is collapsing. We've got 10 major economies imploding. What appears to be World War III brewing. you got Putin making some very bold, tenacious moves militarily. And this week has been a doozy. He sent a really remarkably acerbic message to the West. Dave, it's interesting if you remember One of the famous statements from George Orwell, which is, in times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. That's precisely what Putin did at the UN when he stood up and told the truth. He said to Obama, do you know what you've done? He really told the world at that UN meeting, we're not putting up with this anymore. And then two days later, they took over the situation in Syria. So basically, the Russians have said, We're not going to tolerate complete and total chaos in the Middle East. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to do something about it. So, Dave, I think it's clear to see the chickens are coming home to roost. Would you agree? Well, I think the chickens have been long overdue. I mean, someone has been waiting in the wings to challenge American dominance and imperialism around the world. It looks like Putin's a guy. But I'm not so sure that we want to trade Obama for Putin. I asked somebody when they were championing Putin, they looked, He's not embracing the gay agenda, no Muslim immigrants coming to the country. Gee, wouldn't it be nice to have Putin as a leader? If Putin was a leader, Sheila, you and I would not be doing this interview. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, uh, the world is headed to hell in a handbasket. It's going to culminate World War III. Well, Dave, would you agree that this must really be how the Germans felt like in the 30s, watching a ruthless dictator go mad and take over everything as they really watched in helpless disbelief? Well, yes and no, and I, but I'm not feeling helpless, Sheila. We have 300 million handguns in this country, and you may have caught this uh, when, or actually yesterday when Obama was talking about the shooting in Oregon, and he was hinting that... Uh, hey, we'll just go the route of uh, Britain and Australia. We'll just seize your guns. My answer to Obama, just like Texas, come and get it. And I'm sure a lot of Americans aren't going to let them get their guns because, Sheila, at the end of the day, we can't win a conventional war against Russia and China. We can't win a war of attrition. We have our our troops have been reduced by Obama to pre-World War II levels. Uh, And really what we should be doing, God help me for saying this, if we truly wanted to win World War III, we would launch an all-out nuclear strike against both countries from our deep space platforms, from our submarines, and from our hardened silos, and then duck. Because we could win World War III if we do that. But this president isn't about winning World War III. This president is about collapsing America. So then what options are we going to have following that? If we can't win a conventional war, we've got a president that won't launch nuclear strikes, even though the inevitable is in front of us, then what are our options? And the options are simple, Sheila. This country, and people can mark this down, I firmly believe this is true, we will once again, like we did in the days of the revolution, de-evolve into a revolutionary war where we don't give up. Yes, we have an occupying force in this country because we've been betrayed by our president, but we will not give up. And 300 million handguns will help us outlast our enemies. But we're talking about a guerrilla warfare action, Sheila, that could go on for decades. How many more massacres does this jihadist in the slaughterhouse have to orchestrate in order to get Americans to let him take away their guns here? Even Friday in a press conference at the White House, he mocked gun rights activists as absolutist. 
He said, hey, if we're going to do something about the people that are troubled by this, we have to be as intense and as organized and as adamant about this issue as the folks on the other side who are absolutist. And they think that any gun safety measures are somehow an assault on freedom. I mean, give me a break, Dave. Well, my reaction, Sheila, is this. If the president wants to draw a line in the sand, I'll be happy to stand on the other side against him. And I know I speak for millions of Americans who feel exactly the same way. In fact, you know what I'm going to do this week? I'm going to go to a store or I'm going to order a Texas flag and I'm going to fly it on top of my house. And it says, come and take it. Mulan Labe. Exactly. And listen, this is, I'm a nonviolent person. But what I know, history teaches is that when gun confiscations take place, genocide is right around the corner. We had 17 genocides in the 20th century, and every one of them was preceded by gun confiscation. You never, never, ever, never give up your guns. And Sheila, I'm not a hunter. I haven't fired a gun in 10 years. I mean, I've had experience going to gun ranges and being trained and so forth, but it's something I don't do anymore. But I will tell you this, they're not getting my gun. I don't care what they say or do. And if, they, if they're going around making roundups, gee, I lost that gun. Go get your metal detector and see if you can find where I buried it. And that's, that's going to be my reaction to this. And Sheila, they're not just going to come for the guns. They're going to come for your bank accounts. They're going to come for your gold. And they're going to come for you. And let me quote my favorite executive order, tongue-in-cheek, Executive Order 13603, where the government says through Obama's pen and his executive order, that if they want your labor, they can use your labor. All they have to do is declare you to be a consultant in Section 801, and you work for free at a location of their choosing. That's called slave labor. That's what's in the future for Americans. So I would say to my fellow Americans, there's no compromise with this president. Your line in the sand needs to be what the Constitution says. And if he violates the Constitution, we push back. Well, and the experts agree, Dave. Gun control works. Just ask Idi Amin, Stalin, Pol Pot, Hitler, Mao Zedong. It works, right? Well, it works for the power establishment that wants to eliminate uh, the dissident faction in their (laughs) country. Yeah, that's who it works for. And you know what? We may not survive what's coming when they go for our guns. But I believe in what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said. When he was rotting away in the Soviet gulag, he said, you know, we didn't love freedom enough. We should have met them with baseball bats and pitchforks and knives and anything we could get our hands on. Because if we would have sent those Bolsheviks home in a box, they might have been so aggressive in coming after us. And that's how I feel. This is my line in the sand. I'm a nonviolent person, as you know, Sheila. I don't advocate for assassinations, blowing up buildings, nothing like that. But I will tell you this. I will never sacrifice my gun. Because the Second Amendment says I have the right to have it, and history teaches me I better have it. Otherwise, someone's going to get control of this government who may want my type dead, and I would be left defenseless, and I will not capitulate. And nor should you capitulate, really, Dave, nor should anyone. But this is just one part of the bigger issue of predictive programming, social engineering, Hegelian dialect, divide and conquer. I mean, look at this media spin doctoring this organ shooter thing. You've got Clown News Network there, CNN, turning this guy into a white shooter. You've got LA Times reporting that he was a white supremacist 
a man of mixed race. I mean, Dave, are you surprised at the level of lies, the layers of deceit, the false flags? I mean, they'll stop at nothing to accomplish their agenda. No. The uh, shooting in Knoxville last summer was a well-orchestrated attack by an ISIS member. And I documented that nine times Sunday on my website, thecommonsenseshow.com. In fact, this guy was clever in what he did. He opened fire at a location seven miles away from his intended target yeah. to draw law enforcement away from his target. And then he went and carried out his executions of U.S. military personnel. Uh, this man here in Oregon is a jihadist. Uh, I think when we dig deeper, we're going to find out he has clear ISIS ties, and this is related to the Knoxville shooting. And do I think that these two people have something in common? Yeah, I, I think this is a domestic version of Fast and Furious, mass murder style, and this is being orchestrated by members of the Justice Department. Well, and then you've got good old Hillary Clinton calling for a national movement to stand up to the NRA and the gun lobby. You know, all these euphemisms for attacking and rolling back the Second Amendment. Basically, what she said is, hey, you don't get anything done in this country unless you call it out. Well, how about we call out your lies, you vile devil of a woman? I have a slogan, Dave, for her, and it's Hitlery for Jail 2016. I mean, this woman is a treasonous Jezebel. She's also exploiting the child victims of gun violence. And then, of course, she's saying to lobbyists, we've got to do something because children are being murdered and you're sitting back and doing nothing. We've got to eliminate the Second Amendment as constitutional. I mean, this is total rules for radicals from her good old mentor, Saul Alinsky's playbook, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is. And I, I would uh, be so bold to ask Hillary, where would your political career be without guns? Yeah. How about that trail of death, Hillary, that followed you into the White House and helped you get to where you are today? And I've written several articles about her on my website, and I would encourage people to go to the search engine after this interview and go to the search engine at thecommonsenseshow.com and put in Hillary Clinton and look at the tale of death and destruction that uh, she has left, and all because of guns. So, Hillary, come on, where would you be without a gun? Exactly. And her husband, good old slick Billy Clinton, what did he do in 93? Well, he passed the Brady Bill that mandated federal background checks on firearm purchasers in the U.S. Remember, it imposed that five-day waiting period. There was big opposition from the NRA even then to defeat the legislation, and it even made its way to the Supreme Court where they ruled it was, in fact, unconstitutional on Tenth Amendment grounds. But even that didn't stop the overall statue being upheld. So, you know, she's been a big nefarious part of this. Her little buddy, Diane Not-So-Feinstein, and their gun-grabbing cronies. Even Bernie Sanders is doubling down on gun control. Big surprise. But when did we become a third world country here? Because when the dust settles, Dave, we're entering the post-collapse period of our history. Well, I'd like to answer that question in the context of immigration. And she let me say this. We have a 1.8 birth rate in this country, 1.8 live births. You need 2.1 to maintain your population. We need to do that for Social Security, Medicare purposes. So we do need immigration, but we don't need the ollie ollie oxen free, anything goes, <laughs> there's no borders whatsoever. And so, and so I, I answer the question this way. How many people from a third world nation or a series of third world nations can the United States take on until we're a third world nation? That's the way I would answer that question. 
Well, when is the majority culture expected to be in complete acquiescence to the incoming minority culture? I mean, look at the Muslim invasion of Europe has already started, and it's coming soon to a city near you. This is really death by a thousand cuts here, isn't it, Dave? It is. In fact, in the um, Arizona Republic yesterday, they said against opposition, Phoenix is going to be receiving tens of thousands of Syrians. So I'm going to have to look into this, and I'm going to have to be singing the alarm. Now, I don't live in Phoenix proper. I live 25 miles north of Metropolitan Phoenix. But still, this is wrong. The Syrians are not being vetted. They're only allowing Muslims to come in. Christians are excluded. Of course, that should be no surprise, because I've written about this too, Sheila, as you know. Uh, Obama is a Muslim, and even if he wasn't, key members of the administration have Muslim Brotherhood ties. Yes, to that terrorist organization where his half-brother, the president's half-brother, Malik Obama, is the head of finance and arms procurement for the Muslim Brotherhood. And I've never heard him disavow his brother, so I have to assume he's in alignment with him. Well, and are you surprised with the UN's free-for-all immigration plan? I mean, we're really becoming, at breakneck speed, a third-world nation, and yet nobody bats an eye. Well, there's some of us who are batting a lot of eyes. There's some of us who are yelling from the rooftops. There are not enough of us. Until America shuts TV off, puts down the remote, and stops sipping down so much beer, we're going to perish for a lack of knowledge. And, you know, this is what... uh, was said in the Bible, uh, you know, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And this is what's happening in our country. The average American has no clue what's happening to their country right now. And, and we are on our last legs as a nation. And people, oh, oh, look at that fearmonger, that conspiracy theorist. Well, come back and talk to me in a year if you're able. Yes, keyword, if you are able. Well, it's complete moral decadence, moral decay. This is a breakdown, shakedown, takedown. And when the churches should be speaking out, well, what are they doing, Dave, over there? You and I have talked about the 501c3. You take the tax-exempt status. You take the rules. The government will tell you what you can preach, when you can preach, and you better shut up about abortion, the homosexual agenda, and you'd better be submissive after all. Isn't that what your Bible says in Romans 13? Doesn't it say there you're supposed to acquiesce to complete totalitarianism? Not. I like what Charles Finney, the famed revivalist, said, hey, when there's a moral decay in society, the pulpit is responsible for it. But I've got a newsflash, folks. God has left the building. Are you surprised, Dave, at how far we've fallen in the pulpits? Well, there are a minimum, Sheila, of 28,000 clergy response team members that work for DHS in our churches. Some people say that number is as high as 80,000. Some say it even goes higher. And people need to understand what the clergy response team is. And I'll refer to a phone interview I did with Pastor Walter Mansfield, who was the first one of the first people recruited into the clergy response team. And he thought he was just doing a patriotic thing. And he was actually trained on how to operate inside a FEMA camp as a man of the cloth. So people say there are FEMA camps. Well, not according to DHS and their training of the pastors, and the, and he actually gave me documents that I published on my website that actually said that when you are a minister, you cannot, inside the FEMA camp, quote Jesus, mention Jesus' name, or quote any scripture from the Bible because it's been used in the past to oppress people. So they're simply there as guardians of the gate, keep people calm, we don't want them to rebel, so that's your job, clergy response team pastor, 
to hold the line. And in your churches, make sure you're preaching Romans 13, a bastardized version, which basically says, do what the government tells you in all cases because that's your duty, because Jesus said, render, render under Caesar what is Caesar. Well, Jesus did not command us to obey a, a psychopathic, genocidal government at all costs. He would tell us to stand up to that, but that's not the message our pastors are getting. And why are they doing it? Because they've been told they'll be left alone with regard to their 501c3 tax-exempt status, and they don't have to pay tax to the IRS. Well, and then you've got good old Rick Chrislam Warren out there and his good buddy Pope Francis out there embracing Chrislam. You know, he's in a mosque in Turkey reading from the Quran. Are you surprised with the Pope's chicanery and these other evangelicals that are breakneck speeding us towards a one world religion, a one world church? Well, you're exactly right. The biggest proponent of that is the Pope. And excuse me, save your your anti-Catholic emails to me. Uh, my sister is Catholic. My niece and nephew are Catholic. I've worshipped with them more times than I can count. I have a fundamental respect for the Catholic religion and Catholics as a whole. We share the belief in Jesus Christ. It's just our few of our traditions are different from my Lutheran upbringing. Now, having given that disclaimer, and Sheila, when you have the Pope saying he'll baptize Martians if they come here, that's a cutesy little statement. No one's going to be offended by it. And I'd even chuckle from ear to ear about that. But when you have the Pope saying that uh, you know homosexuals should serve in the church, now I, I, I do believe that we should not be judgmental. I do believe that we should maintain harmonious relationships with all people because that's what my religion and my Lord command me to do. But it doesn't mean we embrace the lifestyle. And that's not what the Pope is saying here. He's talking about openly embracing the lifestyle. The other thing the Pope is saying with regard to your question with Chrislam is that he's putting Islam on an equal footing with Christianity. Yeah, I'm not advocating we persecute Muslims. I would not say such a thing. I'm not advocating that we deny them the right to worship as they please, minus Sharia law, because they don't have the right to enforce their beliefs on, on other people as well. But the Pope, of all people, should not be advocating for the equality and the merging of these two religions. And yet that's exactly what I'm hearing him say. And I find this scary. Nineteen times in the Quran. The Quran talks about beheading non-believers. Right. Well, I'm sorry, when it comes to the Muslim religion, Sheila, I'm a non-believer. I follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, not Muhammad. So that means that there are Muslims out there, if they're true to their creed, they want to chop my head off. And I'm supposed to go along with this, and I'm, and I'm thinking, yeah, the Pope is right. People need to stand up and say, hey, this isn't a Pope for the Catholic Church. As painful as that might be for Catholics to admit that, you're better off admitting it and being true to your Lord than you are to following a false prophet. Well, Dave, Islam is a religion of peace. Come on. A piece of a dead body here, a piece of a dead body there. Of course, he came to the States. Obama was bowing down in the tarmac, which was nauseating. And then when he went to St. Patrick's Cathedral to do his homily in New York City in the upper echelon district of Manhattan, what did he say? You know, and if at times our efforts and work seem to fail and produce no fruit, well, you just need to remember that we are followers of Jesus and his life ended in failure, the failure of the cross. Just so anti-biblical. He's friends to the world. He's man of the year by Time magazine. I mean, what does the Bible say about friendship with the world, Dave? But he said atheists, as long as they just do good. So that's what Jesus said. Go out in all the world and just do what you think's right. Man is not judged by works alone. 
And um, the last notable figure that I recall being Time Magazine Man of the Year was 1936, and his name was Adolf Hitler. That's right. And uh, <laughs> I think we're looking at a very similar figure here. And again, this is not Catholic bashing. This is man bashing. He's advocating for unlimited immigration into the United States. And I would say, okay, Mr. Pope, start with the Vatican. Set the example, please. He's talking about reparations that we must pay to the third world for our destruction of their environment. Okay, Mr. Pope, turn your lights out. Turn your air conditioner off. Don't use your Pope mobile. Walk with your cane. And then maybe you'll have my attention. But it's a case of rules for thee, but not for me. This Pope is so disingenuous. He's so hypocritical. I don't know how anyone could follow him. Also, Vatican, if you're such a proponent of anti-capitalism and socialism, why don't you start selling off the Vatican properties? But Dave, when this Pope put his moral authority and his clout behind the very radical environmentalism, 192-page encyclical, you and I were talking about that. I mean, this one-world climate authority, that's disturbing enough. But when you are elevating the religion of Islam on an equal par with Christianity, and that alone you'd think would have the 1.2 billion Catholics in a fervent uproar descending on D.C. like a swarm of mad locusts, but instead, you know, reading from the Quran and going into mosques for prayer. I mean, that ought to be a complete outrage. But instead, in Catholic circles, it's, it is crickets chirping, really. Yeah, I mean, the Pope has actually had people to the Vatican, people who are Islam, uh, religion of Islam, and conducting Islamic services at the Vatican. Excuse me, is that what the purpose of the Vatican is for? You know, I think this Pope has got to be on dope, and to him I say no. That's what I have to say about the Pope. You know, and, and, and I'm telling you this, too. I've had conversations with multiple Catholics. They're afraid to speak out in their church because they don't want to incur the wrath of the clergy of the local church because it's ruled by intimidation. But they have the same concerns that I've had the nerve to express here. If this brands me as being anti-Catholic, then so be it. Those who know me know I'm not. But the bottom line is, Sheila, you know, the Pope, I think, is one of the most dangerous people on the face of the earth because people trust him because he's in a position of trust, and he's advocating for new world order, globalism, and which will be followed by Agenda 21, transhumanism, and basically the end of the human species as we know it. You're absolutely right, Dave. And again, you're right, he brings Islamic practices to the Vatican. He's had the imam recite Islamic prayers. And it's clear he's really trying to create a one-world religion, global governance. You know, what better thing to take the very air we breathe and create a, you know, we've got to start regulating that deadly pollutant you breathe out, Dave. But on June 16th, were you aware that the Pope actually did allow members of the Islamic faith to pray at the Vatican? And that was even broadcasted. Yeah, it's it's unconscionable. And excuse me, Mr. Pope, I'd like to ask him a question in case he gets a copy of this broadcast. Uh, what about the Christians that are being beheaded by the Islamic members that you're paying so much homage to? Why aren't you speaking out against those actions where members of your own faith who are loyal to the teachings of Jesus Christ are being beheaded and you have nothing to say? So let's shift over to the economy. I mean, Dave, we really see the trillion-dollar deficit. We see that we have unfunded and mandated liabilities. We've got a nightmare social security scene. 
Medicare, don't get me started. I mean, we're spiraling out of control here. And I mean, I don't think the Great Depression will have anything on what's coming. The U.S. is facing debt restructuring similar to Greece, Italy, Spain. Look at Cyprus. I mean, what is going on on the economic front here, Dave? You know, I don't think when it happens, Sheila, we're going to have restructuring. I think we're going to see an all-out collapse. I don't see this coming in stages. Um, I spoke yesterday at the Arizona Breakfast Club, and I told the people that I think you're going to go to bed on a Friday night by the time you think you're going to work the next Monday morning. The world will have changed as you know it. Your money will, will not be available in the bank. The ATMs will be closed. Your debit card won't work. Your retirement Social Security checks will not be arriving. It'll be the end, really, of the economic America that we know. And it's going to happen in the blink of an eye. Why am I so confident it'll happen in the blink of an eye? Because when something is being orchestrated that is this contentious and this devastating, people don't want to give the opposition time to wind up and prepare and fight back. That's why this is going to come like a thief in the night, Sheila. And the just-in-time, let's go back to that model. So you wake up Monday, you don't even have a job to go to. Or you might be able to go to your job, but you won't be able to get gas on the way home. So a lot of people are going to not going to go to work more than one or two days. But the just-in-time deliveries will stop on Monday or Tuesday. That means two to three days later, the grocery stores are going to be totally empty. And that's a, that's a long-end estimate. FEMA, in their studies, has said that 75% of Americans have less than three days of resources available to them for they can survive. So that means on the fourth and fifth day, the hoarding maraud of people that didn't bother to save and prep and keep food and water and prepare for the dark days that are lying ahead, they're going to be in the streets in roving gangs going house to house to try to secure resources they didn't bother to save for themselves. And there's not enough troops, there's not enough military or police to restore order. It's going to be hell on earth when this occurs. Well, how many, uh, 45 or 47 states are on the verge of bankruptcy? Many of the cities are broke. I mean, forget Detroit here, Dave. What does this look like when Joe Lunchbox Carrier can't get his Mark of the Beast chipped card to work? And then, of course, with Real ID coming, he can't travel, and now it's illegal to go off the grid. This is just morphing into a complete nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, let's let's talk about that like, off-the-grid thing. Um I recorded uh, something that I'm working on now. It's called Redless News, which is a five-day-a-week, 15-minute news show I do with Jim White. And it's available on my website and also at redlessnews.com. But Jim had a story in, that I found really, really interesting. In San Luis County, which is in southern Colorado, my home state where I grew up, uh, the local government there under the agenda of Agenda 21 has banned camping, camping. On your own property, you can't trap rainwater. They're limiting the farmers where they can't even use, reuse irrigation water on their farmland, and they can't till more than 50% of their farms. They're trying to get us dependent on the system, so when the system collapses, they can say, hey, come here, come on this side of the wire, come to this stadium, this mall, this FEMA camp, which are all going to be FEMA camps, if you want to eat. And that's where they'll make the decisions on who lives, and who dies. Well, across the U.S., Dave, local zoning officials are making it really difficult for people to go off the grid. And in some instances, people are now getting threatened with jail time for, as you said, collecting rainwater. 
So you've got these zoning laws, you've got them targeting off-grid lifestyles, escaping from overzealous zoning officials. These guys are getting thrown in jail. And then there's a major influx of off-grid residents to certain areas. Like look at Colorado, you know, between the zoning regulations and cheap property, you've got already thriving communities of self-reliant off-grid homesteaders ready to be all rounded up. You know, we've got that happening. But then we've also got these smart cities being created, as you and I have talked about, these atrocity stack and pack micro apartment mega cities with the technocracy controlling every area. And I mean every area of their lives. This is really Aldous Huxley's vision of Brave New World meets 1984, isn't it? Well, it really is. And it's going to come quickly. When we look at what's going to happen with the currency collapse, that'll set into motion a depression. Um, I've interviewed uh, famed economist Joseph Myers a number of times, and Joe says that uh, he's averaged nine major uh, uh, down, economic downturns in American history, and they average about two and a half years, and you usually have a loss of about 50% of the value of the market. But here's the one difference today, Sheila, between now and what's been. We have something that's unique to today's economic situation that none of the other societies had in American history in regard to downturns, and that's the 1.5 quadrillion credit swap derivatives debt. Now, there's only $70 trillion in the entire GDP of the planet, so we have no chance of paying this off, and I don't see how America's going to rebound. The average time is two and a half, three years in these downturns, but with this credit swap derivatives debt, unless there's a repudiation, which I don't see likely, the bankers will never agree to that. Sheila, there's no recovery for America once the collapse comes. Well, you know what this is, Dave? We've talked about it before. America's future foretold in a movie trilogy. Guess which one? Uh, Hunger Games. Ding, ding. You win the prize. <laughs> Isn't that stunning? I mean, if that's not delivering a clear message to us and what's to come, then I don't know what is, Dave. Uh, have I ever talked to you about the authors of some of these new age apocalyptic novels? Talk about that for the new listeners. Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, my son, when he was in about the fifth grade, he read a book by Margaret Hadix. And oh gosh, I can't remember the name of that. It jumped out of my head. Uh, but the book was about population control. The population police would peer in your windows to see if you had extra kids. There was the calorie police, okay? So young kids. Now, Margaret Hadix, I, I thought, this is really interesting. I'd like to have her on my show. So I went to her website, and she had written nothing in the past other than children's fantasy book. That was one of the books she wrote. And then there was another one, uh, Something in the Attic, and uh, where they were hiding the extra kid in this one family. And uh, that's when I had my son come on and talk about this. He thought it was the most horrible thing that he had ever heard of. And so... Margaret Hadix had never written anything prior to writing these two books about Agenda 21 concepts in an extreme society. And I thought, isn't that interesting? And I sent her repeated messages, I would like to interview you. She never responded. Not with, no, no, thank you, you're on too late, I don't do Sundays, I've looked at your show content and I don't like it. She didn't just bother to respond, period. Well. Then I turned my attention to when the Hunger Games came out, which started really, I think, the very next year. And my son read the trilogy in his fifth grade class. 
I thought, well, isn't that interesting? So I started doing research on Suzanne Collins, and I tried to find interviews she had done because I was going to crop the clips and play them on my radio show. There were no clips to crop. She made one appearance on Good Morning America, and it had to be the worst interview I had ever seen. Wow. An author, yeah, oh, it was horrendous. The only thing she said that was intelligible that I had to take away from, she goes, oh, she wrote the story because she wanted to write against the Roman gladiator games, and that's how she did it. That's not what that was about. The opening 20 minutes of the original Hunger Games movie is a treatise in Agenda 21 politics. Yeah, I was stunned when I sat in the movie. I told my wife, I said, I need a notepad here. There's so much. It's going so fast, I'll never remember it. And, and so, Sheila, I did research into Suzanne Collins, the same as I had done with Margaret Hadix. And she, too, until she wrote the Hunger Games trilogy, had never written anything other than a children's fantasy book. And she couldn't even articulate the movie accurately. That, to me, it was shocking. I'd already seen the movie when I saw the GMA interview. And I'm thinking, wow, did you even write this? And then, ding, the light went off in the head of Dave Hodges. And I started thinking, here are two authors, children fantasy writers for young, young children. I mean, like almost just post-toddler, just starting school. And here we have two authors who jumped into Agenda 21 in a major way. And Collins had a huge impact. Children's books for drastic measures to quell overpopulation. That's a really nice little Agenda 21 for children. Yeah, but you know what? I don't think it was just brainwashing the kids. These two were recruited to be the front for the stories that they put forward. And if you were asked me, Dave, what's your best guess as to why these two authors have this much in common and, and they deviated from their traditional training and script so greatly? and it's all about Agenda 21, I would be willing to bet that someone in Agenda 21 proponents went to these two and said, we'll make it lucrative, we'll make it worth your time, but we want you to do this, we're going to give you the storyline, and you simply write the script. Wow. And that's what I think happened with both of these authors, because there's just too much in common with them to say that they these two people spontaneously have all these things in common, and it's all by coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. I think this was orchestrated. I think we're supposed to see these moves. In fact, Sheila, let me give you a different twist on this, and I know you and I have never talked about this. In these post-apocalyptic movies, you look at like the Superman movie, where the, you go to the planet Krypton to start the movie for the first 30 minutes, and General Zahn was bred to be what he was, genetically manipulated in a pre-birth state, and that uh, Superman was the only person born on Krypton for 300 years that wasn't genetically manipulated to serve some purpose or role. And you see all these themes throughout these movies. Now, here's what's interesting. The movies start out with the bad Agenda 21 people always winning. And life is terrible, life is horrible, and oh, I fear the future. Gosh, I hope it never happens here. And then at the end of the day, they always win. And I have a theory about this. It's called predictive programming. And that's not just my theory, but I have a twist to it that I've heard no one else talk about. The predictive programming part is they get us used to the idea of Agenda 21. They're going to crowd us together in stack and packs. They're going to limit how many kids you can have. They're going to control what you eat, where you go, what you say, what you think. All these kinds of things are going to come into play. 
But at the end of the day, they take the sting out of the message by always having the good guys win. When in reality, they don't have any intention of letting the good guys win. There's not going to be any good guys with, you know, 90% of humanity being, that's what they boldly proclaim on the good old Georgia Guidestones. They want to get rid of how many? About $6 billion down to a nice little manageable as Ted Turner, our buddy old pal and his good friend Slick Billy Gates. They'd like, what, a nice little manageable 500 million people. That's a bit of a far cry from $7 billion, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, well, I, I plan on being in the 10% that'll survive, and, but I won't be their slave. They say in their literature, listen, I believe people when they write things. And what they have written from Prince Charles to Ted Turner, it's all the same thing. 90% death and destruction and that uh, everybody else will serve the needs of the elite. I plan on doing neither. Well, like you said at the beginning, come and take them. I think most people would agree you can try to prime out of my cold, dead hands which is really a move that Obama is trying to make. But then it's not surprising because he's implemented everything else by imperialistic decree. Take Obamacare, our favorite substandard healthcare model, complete with death panels. I don't know how many people email me all the times. They talk about their premiums going up. They cannot afford this atrocious substandard healthcare. I mean, that Obamacare is an absolute sci-fi but Obama's pretty much got it locked up, doesn't he? It's horrendous. I have health care through my employer, and I calculated if I had to go on Obamacare, I would pay almost three times more. It's uh, complete with death panels, as you said. I had this discussion with my doctor. He said to me, if you were 70 and you had to have surgery for a brain aneurysm that we could correct and you could return to normal functioning, we could do that. But if you were 70 years in one day, I have to send you home with comfort medication and let you die. Wow. That's, that's Obamacare in a nutshell. Sarah Palin, I got to tell you, Sheila, as time has gone on and I reflect back on the 08 campaign and the things that Sarah Palin said, I mean, she had one mistaken notion. She actually thought she was supposed to win. She actually thought she was supposed to say the right things. That woman is a wealth of wisdom. I mean, she said Syria will be the unfolding of World War III. She talked about a huge conflict will happen in Ukraine if we elect Obama. I mean, she foretold the future in so many different ways. I have so much respect for Sarah Palin, but she was absolutely correct about the death panels. And they all, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, Sarah. You're crazy. Your brain's filled with ice living in Alaska. And look what we know now, Sheila. Well, the greatest conspiracy, Dave, is the fiction that there are no conspiracies, as George Bush Sr. put it. Actually, I think Jr. put it too. Let us never tolerate any outrageous conspiracy theories because isn't all the talk about World War III just the perfect setup for implementing, oh, guess what, a UN global police force? Did you hear about this? Absolutely. 190 cities. We're basically there anyway, and let me tell you why. Um, With Project... 1033, which is the militarization of the police. You know, they're effectively halfway there just with that project. Uh, And also, too, now that every city now is a sanctuary city, every city belongs to the League of Towns and Cities. I mean, they're all globalist Agenda 21, you know, Marxist socialist organizations. So this should not surprise anybody. And I do believe that we will not see gun confiscation take place 
on the federal level. I don't think Obama's got the guts to stomach what will come back his way. I do think it'll be these 190 cities and towns that'll try to do it locally. Well, after all, Obama knowingly aiding al-Qaeda forces in Syria, how likely, Dave, is it that he's going to use his global police force against actual Islamic jihadists? Uh, the chances are slim and none. Well, what is the global police force doing in our cities? I mean, this is the abdication of American sovereignty. If I've ever seen anything, you know, a law enforcement initiative that encompasses the globe without any consultation of Congress at all. This is just Benito Mussolini style dictatorship, isn't it? Well, it really is. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's it's overwhelming here. And I hesitate to answer your question here. There's so many different paths I could take in answering this question. And the reason there's so many paths, Sheila, is we're not fighting against singular events. Yeah. And a lot of people think that, well, if we just get rid of the Federal Reserve, everything will be okay. If we just get rid of Obama, everything will be okay. No. We're fighting against an entire philosophy. Thinking that you're going to win by fighting against an issue here or an issue there is like trying to bail out the Titanic with a teaspoon. We are fighting against a way of life that's satanic, decidedly anti-Christian, decidedly if they had control and had their way, they'd be feeding us to the lions in modern day persecutions. I have no doubt that that's true. And uh, I just wonder too where the Pope would be in that scenario. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Sheila, like I said, I hesitate because there's so many ways Here's the scenario I see going down, and I've said this for three years now. I said, number one, three years ago, the war, World War III, start in Syria, and now with Russia there and U.S. Special Operations Forces with their minions, ISIS, controlled by the CIA, certainly all we need to do is have the match lit. So that's a real provocative situation. But I've also said this. We will have a precipitating event, whether it be a false flag or just naturally a currency collapse, and then we'll have martial law so the people can't resist the direction the country will be taken. And then we will have World War III. And World War III will be a war of depopulation and political and economic reorganization to where we will have a digitized currency in the aftermath. We will have a one-world economic and political system that will be intertwined with each other. And we'll be handed a one-world religion. And let me explain that for a minute. What we're looking at right now is we're looking at a move away from traditional religions to a unification religion called Islam. This is why the Muslims are being exported to Europe, why they're being exported to North America. This is a way of deculturizing a nation and confusing the majority population as to what your culture really is all about. Because how can you fight for what you no longer have? That's one thing. But the biggest thing that we're looking at here is that Islam will be a religion of unification in the New World Order. But ultimately, if you read the Agenda 21 documents at UN.org, you'll see very quickly and very clearly that Islam will give way to a pagan religion called Gaia. And let me just say a couple things about Gaia. Gaia is really interesting to me because in traditional Christian theology, man has dominion over the earth followed by animal, fish, fowl, and then the land, earth itself. That's the hierarchy of power as set forth by the Lord in the Bible. But when you look at Gaia, they flip this this pyramid of power, 
and it's the earth is supreme, followed by every object, every life form, except for humans, and we're on the bottom. And this is the philosophy that's underlying the EPA, where the spotted owl has preference over humans, and why you can't bring water out of a lake or a stream to drink, because some salmon a thousand miles away won't get its necessary water. I mean, this is already coming into play inside the United States and also across Europe and these Agenda 21 philosophies. And this will be the guiding light for the world. It'll be Gaia, where human beings are disposable pieces of trash. Well, out with God, in with Gaia, because it's the eco-friendly death cult. Dave, where you bow down to the great goddess Gaia, because, hey, Al Gore says Gaia is a living, breathing, sentient being, and us CO2-emitting plebs are giving the great goddess a fever, you know, runaway global warming. And what we need is a one-world global dictatorship to curb carbon emissions, Dave. I mean, it is just insanity at its finest. It's really, they're throwing the kitchen sink at us, and it's hard to really figure out where the tail ends and the head starts here, isn't it? Well, it really is. And what we need is a one world washing machine to throw all this trash into it and cleanse the world of these people once and for all. Well, you mentioned Prince Philip. Of course, you know, if I was ever reincarnated, I'd like to come back as a deadly virus to wipe out the Earth's population. Why don't we start with Prince Philip and Ted Turner and slick Billy Gates, Dave? Well, it's kind of like the, the Vatican. You know, you first. You want immigrants, you first. And with these people, I think they should volunteer to be the first to be depopulated. And I'm not a violent person, but I'm saying, you know, if you're going to stand for it, then be willing to lead it. Yes, and, but Dave, the humanity has a duty to protect the sentient being, the natural ecosystems, and the, you know, so they flourish and evolve because, hey, God's not in charge of the earth after all. It's just Mother Gaia. I mean, it's really disturbing, though, this absolute pagan pantheistic earth worship. This really goes back to the very pagan idolatry worship in the Bible. This really goes back to Nimrod and the Ammonites. It's quite scary how we've come full circle, isn't it? Well, it really is. And pretty soon, Sheila, I'll be able to say I live in Sodom and you live in Gomorrah. Absolutely. Well, Dave, tell us what's on your agenda, who are you having on this coming Sunday, and where the new listeners can find your handiwork. Well, I'm having Dane Winnington on, who is a uh, geoengineering expert. Kind of interesting that we're on this topic of geoengineering, uh, mentioning Al Gore. And uh, Dane is everywhere at one time, it seems like. So he's on next Sunday. Uh, where we're going, as I mentioned earlier and very briefly in the show, my friend Jim White of Northwest Liberty News and I have combined to form the Red List News. And it's not that we wanted to do another radio endeavor, but we know that people don't always have time to listen to a three-hour interview or read a 2,000-word article. Right. So what we have done is we take the top six news story during the week, and we record the news story, and a little bit with our reactions to the news story. And we have a rule. The show can't go over 15 minutes. We only have one very brief commercial, and then we distribute it. And it's really growing in popularity. In fact, I'm proud to announce that Before It's News is actually going to host uh, the Red List News on its website. And we'll also have the replays at thecommonsenseshow.com. In fact, that's the other thing I'd like to leave your listeners with. If I said anything that piqued your interests at all, I'd invite you to come to the commonsenseshow.com 
and sign up for our newsletter. It's free of charge. You have no obligation. It'll come to your uh, mailbox, email box every morning, 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern, and it contains everything that's on the website for that day. So again, that's thecommonsenseshow.com. And also you can check us out for our new show at redlistnews.com. So thanks for asking, Sheila. Wow, redlistnews.com. That sounds really exciting. And what better thing to take the uh, what's top of the heap and really flesh that out? That sounds fantastic, Dave. Well, good job with that. And of course, the Common Sense Show. Com. So you have Dane, the geoengineering expert, coming on. That's going to be a fantastic show, Dave. He is terrific. I've, ca- I've caught a couple of his interviews. And in fact, uh, Paul Preston recommended him to me, as did my partner, Jim White. And everyone's recommending him. And finally, uh, it, it's over a two-day period, we're talking about this publicly. And I said, yeah, I'd love to have Dane on. And then Dane's manager contacted me. And so we got this set up. And I, I have so much admiration for his work. Uh, recently, I just interviewed Mike Adams, and wow, oh wow, oh wow, Sheila, was that a great interview? And what I'd encourage people to go up and check that out on my website. I've got the replay of that. Mike Adams, what a great leader he is for our movement. I'm glad he's on my side. I wouldn't want to be uh, uh, in opposition to Mike. He's pretty formidable. <laughs> well, it's always a pleasure, Dave, to have you on the program. Kudos for your work. Your articles are incredible, and of course... We can find them all there at thecommonsenseshow.com. And we're really looking forward to Red List News. Sounds fantastic. And I'll be promoting that as well, Dave. Always a pleasure to have you on the program. And do come back and see us soon. Thanks, Sheila. Happy to be here. That was Dave Hodges from thecommonsenseshow.com. Do bookmark his site and do sign up for that e-newsletter. And speaking of e-newsletter, mine is going out tomorrow. So please do sign up for Weekend Vigilante free e-newsletter. Go to weekendvigilante.com. And also, don't forget to add me on Facebook, Twitter, and sign up for my YouTube channel as well as the podcast. And of course, you can download the app from the App Store. That's all getting worked out. All the archive shows are going to be on the app. It's going to be a really handy, convenient tool for you, the listener. Tomorrow on the program, I have for the first time his first appearance, Josh Peck, author, researcher, really intelligent young guy. And I'm really looking forward to having him on tomorrow. And then Wednesday, Miss Carla Butad. Thursday, Patrick Wood. It's going to be very good. And constitutional lawyer Chris Ann Hall joins me Friday. That is going to be a fantastic show. Today, I leave you with a great message from Charles Stanley. Thank you for tuning into the program. See you tomorrow. Good night and God bless. If you only had a few hours to live and you knew you were facing death, you were not a Christian, didn't know how to be saved, what would you do? Would you find the Bible somewhere and begin to read? What would you read? Well, there are multitudes of people every day all over this world who face death unprepared. Will God save someone in the last hours of their life when their life has been absolutely, totally wasted and they have nothing to offer God? It just may be that you may be closer to meeting God than you realize. Not a single one of us has any assurance of another second in our life. And so I want you to listen very carefully to this message because it could be the difference between 
where you spend eternity, either with God forever or separated from Him in torment forever and ever. And while you have time, I want to encourage you to consider several things. Number one, one of these days you're going to fall into the hands of the living God. That is an absolute truth that cannot be altered under any condition. It doesn't make sense what you believe, what you think, what you feel about the Bible. It has nothing to do with it. You and I will stand in the presence of the living God. Those who have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior will be welcome into glory. Those who stand before Him with all their excuses, I want to tell you something, my friend. When you and I stand in the presence of an Almighty God, if you stand in His presence as a person who has rejected Him, you will be standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be the most horrible, indescribable, terrifying experience. There will be no excuses. There will be no defense. Only condemnation and judgment. And my friends, your unbelief and your doubt is not going to keep you from the judgment. I want to tell you how you can settle once and for all your eternity. You don't have to wait till your last dying moments. You can settle it right now. So I want to tell you how to do that. So no matter what happens and where you are in life, I would certainly hope you'd be wise enough to do it now. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you'll pray this prayer to the Father with me, you can be saved right now. Where you sit, where you stand, where you drive, where you may be listening, you can be saved. Settle this once and for all right now. This is the prayer. Will you pray this to the Father? Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I do believe that Jesus died for my sins. I am receiving Jesus Christ as my personal Savior here and now. Thank you for making me one of your children. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 